Hello and welcome to the third episode of the CEU Press podcast series. I'm your host, um, Andrea Talaber. Today I have Laura Portwood-Stacer and Jan McCall with me. Laura is a developmental editor and publishing consultant based in the United States who works with academic authors from around the world. She is the author of the book proposal book, A Guide for Scholarly Authors, published by Princeton University Press. Jen is an acquisitions editor at CEU Press who is responsible for commissioning new books for the Press's history list. Today is all about the book proposal and the process of submitting a book proposal to a press. And uh, I mean, for us at CEU Press, it's always nice and exciting to get a good book proposal. But uh, we know that it can be quite daunting for authors to have to tackle one, and um, especially for first-time authors. So in today's episode, we hope to clear up any misunderstandings you have about the book proposal and also help you in crafting a really strong and good book proposal package. Before we dive in, maybe Laura and Jen, you can say a bit about yourselves, your background, and um, what makes you an expert on the book proposal. My name's Jen McCall. I've worked in academic and professional publishing for over 30 years now, I realise, to my horror, um, with spells in marketing and publicity before I finally found my place as a commissioning editor. So I've worked in different areas of publishing um, and worked at a number of different publishing houses, including um, Cambridge University Press, Wiley and Palgrave. And I joined CUP uh, just over a year ago. My job here is to find new books for our history list, our prestigious history list, as well as to investigate new potentially interdisciplinary areas for um, the CUP list um, to publish in. And so my day-to-day work involves researching and identifying and then talking to potential new authors reading and assessing their book proposals, as well as shepherding new book projects through our peer review process, as well as kind of the more strategic thinking about new scholarly series that we might want to launch or different ways that we can respond better to the needs of our authors, thinking through perhaps opportunities for new formats or other innovative ways of publishing scholarly work. So that's, uh, that's kind of what I, what I do day to day. And I'm Laura Portwood-Stacer. I'm a former academic, um, and I currently work as a freelance editor and consultant. I've published two books of my own. One was based on my dissertation, um, and then one is, of course, uh, as Andrea mentioned, the book proposal book, which is a how-to guide for authors on how to get their books published with scholarly presses. And my day-to-day is sort of working directly with authors to prepare them for the publishing process. I have a couple of group programs. One is my book proposal accelerator, where um, I always have a cohort of authors in there who are working on proposals, and I read and give feedback and help them understand the context into which that proposal is going. So they understand who will be evaluating it and how. And then, um, you know, I do a lot of workshops, and I have a weekly newsletter where I just try to demystify the whole process. Having been on the other side of it as an author and knowing how anxiety provoking and nerve wracking the whole thing can be. I just want to take as much of that uncertainty out of it as possible. Although, of course, I can't take all of it out. Thank you for uh, the introductions. And um, I kind of think it's it's quite funny with the book proposal, because I found that, you know, even more experienced scholars are sometimes a bit unsure about or unclear about what makes a good book proposal, which is interesting because, you know, they, some of them written two, three, four of them. And um, still, I mean, from a personal experience, when I was working on my book project and I showed my book proposal package to more senior scholars, they all thought that it was great and were really enthusiastic about it, um, and especially about my findings and the material. But then I showed it to some people in publishing And they were also enthusiastic about it, but um, they also advised me to quite significantly restructure the proposal. And they wanted me to emphasize and shape the direction that the actual book was going. And um, I I think what the message from them was that you have to really think about the big picture and why the scholars more focused on the ideas and about the findings. And, you know, I was wondering why you, before we kind of dive into have to you know, kind of point by point breakdown. Why do you think there is this kind of gap between what scholars think is a good book proposal and what editors think is a good book proposal? Maybe Laura, maybe you can start us off on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very common 
issue. And it's understandable because scholars have a particular perspective and, and kind of what they are, like the reason why they personally might be attracted to a book on a particular topic that is you know, relevant to their own scholarship. You know, they could see themselves citing your ideas. Whereas publishers, I have to think, you know, like you said, more expansively about a whole market for a book and and all the different kinds of readers who might find a way to connect with it and and for different reasons. So I, I think it's very common, you know, as scholars and having been there myself, you know, we're in this mode of feeling like we need to prove that our ideas are good and original and rigorous and our methods are correct. And, you know, all those modes of evaluation within the academy, um, we're used to kind of jumping through those hoops and proving that we belong. Criteria are just different in publishing, which is, you know, ultimately a business and about distributing ideas um, in a, you know, efficient uh, and appealing way. And so in a way, I think that can be a bit of a hopefully a relief for scholars that you're not there to prove how smart you are. Um, It's more about talking about how you're going to connect with people who will appreciate eventually how smart you are and what and your ideas are. So so yeah, it's just a different kind of communication a proposal is um, versus other kinds of ways we might talk about our work. Um, but Jen, I'm sure you have lots of perspective on this as well. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, what I look for in a proposal. And I, I think it's interesting you mentioned earlier, um, Laura, the, the point of who's going to read the proposal. I think that's just something that is should be right at the front of your mind when you're when you're putting one together because it's not going to primarily initially be people who know your field. It's going to be a commissioning editor who may or may not have a detailed knowledge of what you're uh, what you're writing about and about your discipline. They may not. It may be written by. It may be read by our marketing colleagues, for example, at a at a publishing house, or or by a kind of mixed board who comprises publicity, marketing, sales, you know, people who don't know. So I think really clarity is all. <laughs> I do look for you know in a proposal. I want to know what the book's about. So please tell me clearly what the book's about, why you're writing it what you're offering that's new um you know of course you're building on existing scholarship but what what's it how is it developing um you know how is it is building on that and how is it developing your your field so i i think that's that's really important to just think about who's going to read your proposal and it's not going to be necessarily you know people like your supervisor if you're a phd uh, candidate is not going to be that that kind of person initially of course peer reviewers that that a, a good publisher will select will know your field so in a way you've got to you've got to be kind of sensitive to um, a range of um, audiences in your proposal but you can hopefully supply sample chapters if not the full manuscript and uh, things that will augment the proposal so clarity I think and you know looking for um, we're going to cover a lot of the nitty-gritty later on but you know in a proposal I would obviously look to make sure that that we were the right publisher for your book, so that you've you're, you're, you've see, you've shown that that you've researched our list and that we're demonstrably suitable. Uh, that your book is demonstrably suitable for our for our book list in terms of topic and market. It fits the list. So I think in you know, a communication clarity and uh, fit to the publishing program, um, as well as a good understanding of the the end market for the book. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of follow up on uh, what you said, Jen, about um, you know, finding the right press, what would you advise people, especially maybe you know, first-time authors, um, how do they pick the right press for their book? Yeah, I think, well, I think Laura's book's fantastic on this, actually. Um, the, I mean, I would say just do your research, look at the books that you use um, and that you cite, um, and that you read who publishes them. Commissioning editors and acquisitions editors are usually very approachable people and quite busy people, but normally very happy to chat. Uh, so if you're attending a conference, for example, then do find the book stands and go and talk to people and find out about the different different publishing houses. Um, or if you have one in mind, then try and find the commissioning editor to speak to. Usually on, online, um, people's names are there and you can find email addresses and um, drop them an email. So yeah, 
research, looking at other books, talking to commissioning editors, thinking about who you want to read the book. I mean, looking at the publisher from from point of view, what kind of marketing does the publisher have? Do, Do they have a global reach? Is that important to you? Do you want to have your book sell globally or is it more important for you to sell your book deeply in one region, you know, if perhaps that's important for you. And I should also mention OA, open access here, which is a big thing, I think, in certain areas, perhaps, I don't know, in the, in the States, I think it's, you know, slightly different regional perspective on OA at the moment. But you should certainly think about what the what the open access policies are of any publisher you're thinking about. But I'm sure Laura's got loads more to add there. <laughs> I think I think you captured it. Yeah, I think it is about understanding, again, who you're sending it to and, and being able to give like a credible reason why you believe the book is a good fit. You know, the editor will have their own re- uh, thoughts about it. But if you show you have thought about it and have some kind of logic underlying why you sent your proposal to a given press, I think you'll be ahead of like 80% of the people who have sent their proposal in. And so and it'll also help you knock places off your list that just might not be where you want to spend your time pursuing. And then Jen, I also really appreciated that you thought about it from the author's point of view, because I think sometimes authors can feel like, oh, I'll take any press that'll have me. But it is important to think about your own goals and, and who you want to reach and whether the press can actually be the partner you need in that, you know, whether that's geographically or, you know, whether you want your book to to be in, you know, institutional libraries or whether you want it to be, you know, a $20 paperback that communities can afford to buy. So yeah, I think those are all things to consider. And it takes a bit of work up front to do that. But then you save yourself so much time on the back end on the the other end, um, with, you know, ideally fewer rejections and, um, you know, better conversations with editors, because you're kind of starting a few steps ahead. Definitely, you you get towards the top of the pile, if you can go straight in having done your homework, it will be impressive, I think, to a, um, a commissioning editor looking at your proposal. So your press is chosen, you know, you might have been in touch with the editor and they are interested. Just uh, before we kind of dive into the details, what are the you know, the components that you really have to have in your book proposal package? Sure, I have my little sort of cheat sheet of the the key components, and and they vary from press to press, and different presses call them different things. So I think it's always a good idea to look at the requirements of you know the specific presses you're targeting. But in general, um, what they'll want to see is a, a working title for the book, a description of you know, like an overview of what the book is about and what it's trying to accomplish um, and, you know, what frameworks it fits within. You'll want to articulate who your intended audiences are, who you expect to be reading this book. And you can sort of prioritize those in terms of, well, these are the people who will definitely want to read it. And then I also think, you know, these people over here might be interested as well. But that's one place where you really want to make sure the fit is right between who you want to talk to and who your press is already talking to um, with their previously published books. Then most presses will want to see a list of comparable books. Sometimes they call that competing titles, or they might they might even call it like a market analysis. And But that is just a list of the books that your book could be compared to, would be similar to, would share some qualities with or some audience with, and, and could also depart from, but you use those books as kind of points of reference to explain what your book is trying to do and where it would fit in the market. Then they may want to see a, a table of contents and summaries of each of the chapters that will be in the book. Um, and then there's some more kind of technical um, information that is helpful to an editor and to those other people at the press to figure out, is this the right book for us? Um, and that would be you know, what's the status of the manuscript? How soon would it be ready for peer review? Do you have any sample chapters that are currently ready? And the specifications, like the technical specifications of the book, like the length, which would usually be expressed in a word count, the number and kinds of images you want in the book. Um, and, and that gives the press an idea of how much it's going to cost to produce the book. So then they can, you know, kind of figure out, is this something we can invest in? And then you may be asked to provide some information about yourself as the author. That can be like a short, you know, couple paragraph bio, or it could be a CV, you know, different presses will ask for different things. And then some presses will want to see sample chapters or a writing sample right away with the proposal. Some won't ask for that with the proposal. That would be something the editor would ask to see if they're interested in going further. So that's my quick rundown. I think that covers most of it. <laughs> but Jen, if there's anything else that you're looking for. Yeah, no, I think you've pretty, pretty much 
Sum that up brilliantly, Laura. <laughs> it's, always, it's always good to have agreement. Okay, so um, so thank, thanks for that quick list. And uh, now I think we can kind of dive into the more nitty-gritty of it. I kind of wanted to start off with um, maybe what a lot of people think is an easy one, which is the list of competing titles. But I think that there that's not such an easy section that a lot of people think, because I think a lot of people think that is... You know, for the competing titles, you kind of have to write almost a short literature review, and uh, but you know it's it's actually it's it's not that. And um, I think Laura, you said as I know, some publishers call it the competing titles. So could you just maybe give us an idea of what what books authors should pick for this, and what are the common pitfalls, or what is the wrong approach to take with this? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right on when you say that it's uh, easy to misunderstand this as a literature review. And that's something I see very commonly with the authors that I work with when I see their proposals directly, because it's something you're used to doing and, and having to kind of demonstrate your knowledge of the field and your understanding of, you know, like the the theory behind these various books. And that's good for you to have that understanding, but it is not what the publisher is looking for in this document. Uh, they are trying to understand, it's basically another way of understanding who's going to read this book and who's going to buy this book. And so you don't need to go into like the minutia of the books themselves. It's it's better to give, you know, a very high level, like one sentence summary of what the book is in case the editor is not familiar with it. And then to use that as your jumping off point to explain your book. It's, it's really about spotlighting your book in comparison with these other books. So, you know, you might say, well, this book is about X. It it does, you know, X and Y well. Readers are interested in it because of X reason. And those readers are going to like my book because my book does, you know, Z. Or it does X in a different way or approaches it from a different angle. So it's definitely more about keeping your book at the center um, versus kind of proving you know in and out all the other books that exist. And another thing that I like to reassure authors on is that there's not like right and wrong answers here. It's not a test. Um, the editor is not going to say like, oh, well, you didn't cite this book in your comps. Never mind. We're not going to consider your book. It's it's really for you to paint a picture to help the editor understand how you see your book and who you see reading it. So there's not like a wrong answer. It's, you know, there's just, you know, books that are more or less helpful in communicating your vision for your book. I think also that where I see things go a little bit astray sometimes is um, an author perhaps puts some competing titles that are, say, the book is a you know, uh, research monograph with the primary market being kind of scholarly libraries. And they're listing in competing titles books which are mass market trade books published by big trade publishing houses. That makes me worry that the author has expectations of the sales potential for their and marketing potential for their book. So what I want to see is are similar books in terms of level. I think you did sort of touch on that, Laura, but similar similar market books, so different monographs, as well as uh, thinking about kind of the topic. And also, I would say that if you can find any that the publisher that you're approaching has published, <laughs> then put them down there because that's brilliant. You know, if, if uh, as a commissioning editor, you're seeing a couple of books that you that sit on your list that are cited as as comparable titles or competing titles, then that immediately shows a great fit to the pr- publishing program. I I think all publishers just change the title of that section in a proposal form because everyone says competing titles and we know as publishers that your book is unique otherwise why would you be writing it so we yeah we want to see where your book sits in the literature and where it's you know where it's positioned one tip because sometimes authors don't necessarily understand like the market for books so they might not know the difference between like a mass market book and a and like a research monograph. But one sort of like tip to figure that out is to look at the publishers of the books on your list. So if you're publishing a university, if you're pitching a university press, try to have university press books on your comps. If you're, you know, or, you know, academic presses. And if you're not, if you don't recognize the name of a press, just go, you know, Google it and try and figure out, oh, is this, you know, one of the big five publishing houses in New York? Well, that that might not be a good comp for my research monograph, just kind of building on what you said, Jen. Yeah, just to go back to what you said, Jen, about, um, you know, having uh, titles from the press where you're sending the proposals to, does it kind of raise concerns if someone doesn't put 
um, titles from the press in their comp or, you know, it kind of depends on the whole proposal and it's fine if they don't. It's fine if they don't. It does depend on the whole proposal. And it could be that a publisher is looking to branch out into a slightly new area. You're not to know that. But, you know, if you feel if kind of convinced that you're approaching the right publisher and there are similar books on the list, then that's not a deal breaker. No, it's just nice to see. How many books would you say is good to have in this section? You know, you obviously don't want to have too many because then that's a bit strange, I guess. Um, but you also don't want to have too few. What would you say is a kind of good number? I don't know what you say, Laura. I, I've, I've maybe three to six, something like that. I think that's a very standard answer. I don't, I don't think people should have too many, like you said, Andrea, because it, it can, because you're trying to paint a picture, it can sort of muddy the picture if there's too many or they seem to be speaking to two different audiences or three, you know, however many, and then then it can confuse the editor, like, where does this book fit? But at the same time, I think it's easy to skim that as well. So if you do think, you know, you're painting a picture, and you, you're like, Oh, I have seven titles that I think really make sense, like, don't sweat it. You know, that's fine. Yeah, so um, I mean, we already touched a bit on this. It's about your book's audience. And again, I i mean, before I wrote the proposal, I thought of this as a kind of easy section because, you know, who are interested in this book are the scholars in the field. But do you say, you know, is this for scholars in your field, but is it too narrow? Or do you also say for students or the general audiences, but that might seem a bit too broad? What do you think is a good approach to take in this section? Maybe, Laura, you can start on this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're writing a research book, you know, like a book based on your original research, you know, there's the types of audiences you're going to be talking about are not, they're pretty standard, right? There's like other scholars, but there you don't want to just say, oh, scholars in my field. You want to be a little bit more specific so that the press can can understand how to reach the specific scholars who will be interested. You know, which conferences would this kind of work be presented at? And and maybe even which divisions within the conference, you know, to help the press understand how to find the audience for the book. So, so I think other scholars are always going to be kind of at the top of your list um, if you're writing a research book. But then, you know, you're hopefully have a slightly larger market than the maybe one or 200 people who specialize in your topic or sub sub area. So you want to talk about, you know, how it might connect with other readers like students. And, you know, we're not going to expect undergrads to buy a research monograph just to read, right? But so then you want to think about, well, what kind of courses would this be taught in? What kind of instructors would think this must be read by my students? Um, So you want to, so not just kind of say students or people in the field, but give a reason and how the book will connect with those people. And then I think those, you know, other audiences are kind of often bonuses. And you don't want to say, well, general readers, because it's not realistic for most academic work. But if there's a specific population that would find something to connect with in this work and might seek it out, even though it's kind of academic, then you can talk about that. And you might want to give some evidence that those people are interested in your topic and your work. So I I talk about this example in the book proposal book, but I, I worked with a client who wrote an ethnography of birders. And, you know, she was kind of writing in the environmental sociology and how, you know, birders um, learn to see the world like naturalists and, and start to care about the environment. But she also had like strong connections to the Audubon Society and bird watching groups, because that's where she had done her research. She knew people in that community. And so she could promote the book to those readers. And she knew they would be interested because they would see themselves in this book. Um, and she wrote it in a way that was, you know, somewhat accessible to those types of readers. So she talked about that in her proposal. And I, I do think that helped her connect with the press because the press saw that as an audience they could tap. I think also you could increasingly sort of the, the impetus towards working in interdisciplinary ways that scholars have. This is an opportunity for specifying your primary disciplinary area, but also you can map out you know, other other dis, other scholarly disciplines that your book will be useful for. And that can show to a press that there's a little bit of a broader market. I would echo the, please don't say general, in general readers, because it doesn't really mean anything. And for a scholarly book, it's almost never true. Right. One caution I want to I give, because I, I do see authors thinking, oh, the more audiences, the better. You know, I, I could see 10 subfields or disciplines that would my book could speak to and then they just give that like laundry list of the 10 and I always say that doesn't necessarily help a press connect with your book um, especially if they're not 
speaking to those 10 audiences, you know, if you, you still got to say, pay attention to that fit and kind of say the things that the editor will kind of light up at and say, oh, yes, we're trying to reach that readership. So you do want to be focused. And it's not bad to be focused. I think sometimes people are afraid, well, if I just say this is for environmental sociologists, then like, it won't be seen as enough. But if it's a press that's very interested in building their environmental sociology list, that's enough. Yeah, no, I think I think this is really good advice because um, I mean, especially I think first time authors kind of really struggle with this section because you don't want to make it sound that, you know, it's going to be a really narrow audience. But so you, you, you try to go a bit bigger. And obviously, that's also not the not a good approach to make. But I think I, I want to go back to what Jen, you said at the beginning about, you know, you want to have a, a good idea of what the book is about. And um, I I think the section where, you know, you can really say what your book is about is obviously the project description. You know, it's obviously important to have a strong argument and your the core of your thesis stated there. And um, especially when you are turning your PhD into a book, this can be quite a daunting task because it's quite uh, stating in your PhD what your book is about and all your methodology. It's, you know, you have a whole chapter for that. Um, in the book, you usually reduce this to maybe a few pages. What strategies would you recommend to people who are who are kind of struggling with this part of the description? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I would reiterate the need for clarity in your project description and just thinking through the kind of big questions. Why are you writing the book? What does it offer that's new? What needs does it serve? And if it is an adaptation of your thesis, then how are you opening it up to become a book project? Because, you know, a reputable publisher would not publish a thesis which hasn't been significantly reworked. And so the market needs to be not just your supervisor and your examiner, but it needs to be, you know, not we're not talking mass market. We're talking a few hundred scholars who are interested in your in your discipline. But how are you going? How are you going to be? changing the thesis so a clarity on on that and I think thinking about things like your chapter titles um, thinking about how you're mapping out your table of contents are all mechanisms that you can really use to make sure that the progress of your arguments really clear that the titles of your chapters are clear and not cryptic but show the progression all of those things are really important to think about so yeah I think rather than go straight into the real weeds and the real detail of what you're thinking but just think about those bigger questions first and start to map out a structure of your description based on on those ideas and then always think about who's going to be reading your proposal we said earlier but yeah, Laura, I'm sure you've got loads of more brilliant advice on this one. I, I could talk about this one for a few <laughs> hours because I think it is the it's the hardest part. I mean, it, it's absolutely the hardest part of writing a scholarly book. And I think people can feel discouraged if they don't have a very strong sense of their argument or their contribution. But that's why I say it's the hardest part. Everybody struggles with that. And not even people who are just writing their first book based on a PhD. So, so it's just partly a matter of time and perspective, you know, getting some distance from the actual, you know, like the methods and findings of your dissertation or your thesis, you know, you're so focused on that for years and like explaining it to your committee and proving you did the right thing. And that is like, it's part of the process. But for a book, you have to really back away from that don't get too, like, you know, Jen said, into the weeds of all of that in your proposal, because that's for you. That was for you to find out, you know, the new knowledge that you've generated. Now the book is to communicate that new knowledge in a way that other people can use. They don't care how you did your dissertation, um, or, you know, even maybe the number of people you interviewed, or, you know, what, you know, the specifics of your data, they want to know, well, what's the application of this? How can I take this bigger idea you were able to come away from that work with, and use it in my work, you know, because that, that's the point of scholarship is to kind of build a conversation that, you know, is broader than just one project. So, so, you know, my advice to people is, you know, if you're having trouble seeing the bigger picture, get out there and talk about your work to other people, give presentations on it, try to publish small pieces of it in peer reviewed settings or conferences, because that's going to give you feedback on what other people are connecting with, where they're seeing the, the bigger picture and, and the use value of your research. So it, it's just it's not something you can necessarily know right away from the inside. Um, so it is worth like getting getting that outside perspective, sitting with it a while, you know, figuring out where people seem to be connecting with you. 
and then repackage that into your proposal to show an, a press that, look, these are the people who are going to connect with this. This is why this book will be a good investment. Jen, you already mentioned the, and I think Laura, you as well, the annotated table of content. So what what is the most common mistake in this? You, know, you have your you have your project description, you have an idea of you know your chapters, and you sit down and write them. You know, what 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 can go wrong here? And how do you make it right? I think I, some things I see are you know particularly for early career researchers who where the book is based on a, a thesis that 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 this hasn't been thought about carefully enough. That there's a lot of thought gone into other sections of the proposal but not this. And this is really quite an important section because actually this, the table of contents and the chapter by chapter summaries are going to be really important for your peer reviewers. So that this is where you you have a chance to communicate directly with people who are specialists in your field. So when I was talking earlier about being clear, being very clear and other sections, this is a, this is a real chance to kind of really show what the book's about to other to other scholars who know their their stuff and know your stuff. So um, I would say spend lots of time. Don't just copy your table of contents over from your thesis and and lots of you know one point one point one two you know uh, all of that. You're, you're ne- needing to kind of rework your chapter titles into something that looks like a book. So look at other books that you cite and that you you use. How have they done it? They've hopefully come up with chapter titles which are really clear, contain lots of key words, very clearly communicate what each chapter is going to contain. And there's a certain amount of consistency in the chapter titles so that, you know, it looks nice as a as a table of contents. It it has it has some kind of progression there. So yeah, I mean I would say don't use um, in your chapter titles, don't use quotes or cryptic phrases as chapter titles. They're going to be really important for online searches for search engine optimization etc so an important way for readers to find chapters from your book online so be clear with how you name them and in terms of the chapter summaries you can I think be a bit more detailed in terms of what the contents of the of each chapter can uh, are in this section um, and I'd expect to see you know one to two hundred words per chapter you can you be a little bit more detailed here um, because I think as I say the, the market for this section would be the publisher, but also the peer reviewers. Yeah, no, I think that's all right on. And, you know, I've seen, you know, in working with authors, I've seen editors be really excited about a book idea. And then the excitement kind of falls apart a bit when they see the actual layout of the book. And it's like, oh, well, maybe this book has not been quite thought through. Or, you know, when they take it to peer reviewers, who are like, oh, don't really see how this, you know, makes sense as a book. You know, there seems to be a lot of fluff here, you know, whatever it is. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. You want to give a very strong sense of what is actually going to be in the book, what are readers going to encounter as they read each chapter. But I think an opportunity that a lot of authors miss is just doing straight description in their chapter summaries and not using those summaries as an opportunity to show the underlying logic of the book you know, why they have decided each chapter belongs in this book, why readers will care about it in the overall context of the book's contribution. You know, why have they started at point A and then gone to B, C, and D before ending at point E? Those are all things you should be thinking about, you know, as Jen said, that's something that's part of the process of taking a thesis and making it a book. And then, you know, don't waste that thinking by not demonstrating to your publisher that you've done that thinking. You know, use those annotated summaries to communicate that logic. Um, And it just shows that you're a thoughtful author and you've been thinking about how the reader will experience the book and sort of grasp the ideas and the arguments as they're moving through it. So that also fits in with your project summary where you you show that this is my main argument, this is what I want to do. And then in the annotated table of contents, you basically show how you are going to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't want a peer reviewer to read the chapters and say, well, I don't understand how this serves the argument. They should understand that very clearly from reading it. Yeah. So we we talked a bit about the chapter titles and, you know, how important it is for um, search engine optimization, but also for your you know peer reviewers and your readers once the book is published. So I have a question about the title of your book. So is it all right to, you know, say to the publisher when you send in your proposal that this is a working title, I'm still thinking about it, but this is what I'm working with right now? Yeah, I think absolutely that's fine. Sorry, I waited in there. But so, yeah, no, I, that that's absolutely fine. 
to say that. There's a, often quite a bit of toing and froing about titles between publisher and author, and it should be something that is mutually agreeable to all parties. It's rarely something that an author can dictate because a title of a book is so important when publishers trying to get word out about your book on online and uh, you know the 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 uh, mention of seo earlier about chapter titles goes uh, you know a hundredfold for the title of a book i'd say in terms of the title it depends on the type of book so if you if you're wanting if you're going for a kind of paperback title you're expecting a wider market for then yes you can be perhaps a little bit more crazy with your main title i i tend to be you know, advise for scholarly books and monographs that you kind of very clear and descriptive in your main titles. You can perhaps develop something in your subtitle, but I would really think about keywords up there, straight up there in your main title, because those this is going to be so important for people to actually find your book. So think about the words that people would use on Google <laughs> and include them in your main title and try and be um, as clear as possible. But, you know, there's a there's a fine art because you don't want to be too boring. This is a book that, you you know, you you love and you want you want things to get out. Uh, you, you, you want to be exciting. But but yeah, I, I think keywords thinking about how people are going to find the book is so important. So that's why I'd like to say that. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, I think the title should give the title is your first chance to connect with a reader who doesn't know who you are and doesn't know your work. You know, you may have a couple dozen of those people who will seek out your book, no matter what it's called, but the title is the first impression for most people. So they should come away thinking, yes, I want to know more about that book. That must be a book for me, you know, if it has something in the title that I connect with. But then I do think it's important to understand, uh, like Jen said, that there is there has to be room for back and forth with the publisher about the title because the publisher has that expertise on you know, marketing and promotion and connecting with audiences. So while you may have your preferences as an author, it, it is smart to defer to the publisher's thoughts on that. You know, even if you, you don't love their first idea, there's there's room to say, well, I don't love that. And here's why. Maybe we could think about something else. And so... I think if you go into it showing that you're aware that that's going to happen, that's great. You know, calling it a working title or saying, or just being kind of frank with your editor, like, this is the title I came up with, but I think we can do better. You know, let's keep talking about that. That's perfectly okay to do. And I think that's even a good thing to do as an author. Yeah, I agree. I, w- I would also say there's quite, a, there's quite a lot going on behind the scenes that you as an author won't know about that that's very, very dull. And it's all about how books are communicated out to libraries through bibliographic systems. And sometimes the data that gets fed out to these systems gets mashed up and a subtitle separated from the main title, a subtitle disappears, for example. And if you have, so all of this plays into the importance of of clear titles and perhaps as an author being open to the fact that that the publisher does know their business and is going to advise you wisely um, is a good good thing. But I think a good publisher should always be open to a conversation. It shouldn't be a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's another another thing to think about when you're doing your research is, you know, if you're looking at the recent books that this press has published, if, if all the titles seem to be very like SEO optimized and keywords and, and you find them boring, that might tell you something about the market for th- their books. And and then you have to decide, do I share that market? Is it institutional libraries I'm most interested in this book going out to? Or, you know, like Jen said, am I more interested in like a sexy paperback? You know, then you want to find the publishers that have those kinds of titles on their books. All right. So you have your, you basically have your, the core of your book proposal package. You have your competing titles, you have your audience, you have your project description, um, you have your annotated table of contents. And um, as Laura mentioned at the beginning, you come to the kind of other details section. You know, this is about um, your timeline, your manuscript length, number of illustrations. I mean, I think this is always a bit tricky with the manuscript length. So is it is this set in stone what you say in the proposal or is there a bit of leeway for it? And, you know, if you are unsure, is it better to give a kind of range or do you give a specific number? What are your thoughts on this? 
maybe Laura, you can start us up on this. Sure. Although I, I would really like to hear how Jen looks at this as well. But I do say, you know, you want to kind of do your homework to get a sense of what's typical at the press you're publishing or trying to publish with, and then offer a range that's in line with that. And and so you might realize, oh, my, you know, thesis is 150,000 words. That's probably not going to fly with most presses. So, you know, even if you kind of know in the future, you're going to need to cut that down, I would put a safer range when you're pitching it to the press. There is room for conversation about it. You know, so the the thing, the number you put in the proposal is not set in stone. So you can talk to the editor, the editor might have ideas about, well, you know, actually, for a history monograph, we do need it to be 100,000 words, 80 would be too short for our market or something. I've heard that. Um, or they might say 100,000 is too long for this sociology book, or, you know, or whatever it is. But then often a number does go into the contract. And then that is a little more set in stone, um, because a lot of plans have been made around that number. And so there, there still may be flexibility if you go back to the editor and say, well, I've written the full manuscript, and it's not quite what I had thought, but you may be held to the number that's in the contract. Yeah, I have to say you you completely stolen all my lines, Laura. I, I, I've said over the contract stage, the length will be specified, and then it is more set in stone. So, but I think, as you say, at the proposal stage, there is flexibility. There's also differences between disciplines about what's an acceptable length. But I, I would say it's probably it would possibly be a little bit of a red flag if you put two hundred thousand words or something like that in your proposal because you would as a commissioning editor you would think oh god you know this needs to be cut in half how is that going to be possible so I would put a range in the proposal that would be maybe between 80 and 100,000 words as being pretty safe for an academic monograph in most disciplines and uh, and then as you say, as you say, it's not set in stone at that point necessarily. But when your book reaches contract stage and when you when you're writing the book, then do keep an eye on your word count, because when you deliver the manuscript, that's going to be looked at in comparison with what your contract said. And you don't really want to have another conversation at that point. Another um, uh, issue that maybe pops up sometimes, and this is to do with the author CV or the short author bio that you have to supply. What about people who are freshly minted PhDs or they are in precarious positions or they left or thinking about leaving academia? Is this an issue with publishers or you know they, they just look at your book proposal? What I've heard from editors, because this question comes up a lot for a lot of the authors I work with who are, you know, many of whom are kind of fresh out of the PhD, don't know what their future is in academia and have very little control over that. So they may worry that a publisher you know, won't be interested in them if they don't have that tenure track job already, or they don't have a lot of publications on their CV already. And I will say that, you know, people who work in publishing understand what a career arc looks like. They know the difference between an early career researcher who is revising a thesis and, you know, an academic celebrity who's later in their career. They're, you know, probably trying to balance their list between different kinds of authors. So they're not expecting everyone to come in with this huge, impressive CV. But they are concerned about whether the book will find readers, and the author is a big part of that. So if you are, you know, committed to staying involved in academic conversations, you know, presenting your work, you know, promoting it in whatever way that you do, that's what they're going to be hoping for. So, you know, if you're if you're not full-time in academia, that's not to say you can't be doing those things. But if you have no interest in doing those things, a publisher might say, well, why do you even want to publish this book? And are we the right fit for the kind of book you want to publish? So it's it's more about just like assuring that you're going to be a partner in making sure the book finds its audience. And your CV is a way of demonstrating that kind of indirectly. Yeah, I'd say definitely include things like the conferences you're going to attend or have attended, the papers you've given, any journal articles, um, institu- uh, membership of associations and things like that. And also um, increasingly social media, you know, presence and your following, although goodness knows what will happen with Twitter. But, you know, um, that that's important because often it is a partnership selling a book and the publisher is looking for a committed author um, who will work in partnership with them to get the best out of the, the performance for the book. Yeah, and I guess you as the author is the biggest cheerleader of uh, of your book. So they want you to be involved in um, 
you know, trying to sell it. And the best way to do that is, I guess, if you are visible to other academics. Oh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, I, I do sometimes see people being anxious if they're not like big social media mavens. And so I, I try to say, and I hope this is true, that it's really a, the publisher is looking at it holistically. So your Twitter following is not going to be the make or break thing. If you don't have a Twitter following, don't assume that means they're not interested. Um, and if you do have a big Twitter following, but you're, you know, all you talk about is, I don't know, tabletop role playing games, and your book is not anything to do with that, then it's kind of irrelevant, right? So it's, it's, it's the whole big picture is what they're looking for. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Jen, you mentioned this before about open access. So if, if an author is interested in open access, because I mean, more and more funders are asking for this, and I think more and more scholars are also interested in publishing open access. So is this something you mentioned in the proposal that you have an interest in it? And if the press has a program, then you know maybe you would like to be considered for that? Or is this for a later conversation? I think probably increasingly publishers have a section which raises the question of open access anyway. So you'll be prompted to mention it. Um, if your book has uh, is coming from a fund where there's a mandate to publish it open access and where there's funding, you know, the, you'll obviously want to specify that. Good publishers will work through the peer review, the, the initial assessment, the conversations and the peer review process and all of that, whether or not it's OA there won't be a difference between those processes. And so uh, in a way, it's not that important to state it at the outset. When you do need to sort of start thinking about it is when you reach kind of contract stage. But increasingly, as I say, publishers are asking that question at the outset, particularly in uh, UK and Europe, where it's much more the case that um, the OA is kind of more of an expectation when you've had some money from a funding body. Um, and you as an author will need to have done your homework in terms of what is on offer there. Is there a book processing charge? Are there other things that are going on that are on offer that allow an author to publish OA? I, I would, for, from a US perspective, where there are many presses that don't necessarily offer open access, or it's not something you can assume will happen later in the process. I would say that goes back to the research that you're doing about fit. Has the press you're thinking of published any other open access books? So they can you find them? If not, then that that might be kind of a non-starter conversation. There are presses that say, well, our expertise is the print book and maybe the ebook, but not the open access you know, program. So you do want to make sure there's some kind of precedent that you might be stepping into if that is very important to you or necessary for your publication. No, you're right. You're right. If it's important for you, you need to you need to make sure that, that that's the case. I was kind of indicating that, that a good publisher wouldn't change their process and wouldn't say yes to a book just because it's open access. We You would say no to a book if it wasn't a good fit or if it didn't peer review well, whatever the open access status. But um, no, you're entirely right. If it's important for you, you need to make sure that the publisher offers it at all. So you you know you have your press you have your book proposal package you sent it in so in in a kind of very short overview what happens next maybe Jen that's a question for you normally I will have had a conversation with you at an early stage so I kind of have shepherded you through a draft stage so you you're submitting your final proposal with your additional chapters if not the manuscript I'll take a final look and then the book goes through out to peer reviewers at CU Press we we send out to at least two external peer reviewers so the book goes through peer review beautifully and the peer reviewers are uh, in fully in support then at a university press there's normally an editorial um, board meeting or a, a syndics meeting or a, you know another round of um, review where the commissioning editor is the ambassador for your book and takes your book forward with the peer reviews stress that we you know we strongly recommend that we need to publish this book and hopefully gets buy-in from the editorial board that we would want to publish your book and go forward and then it's a contract uh, negotiation stage to go through normally fairly straightforward um, where a contract states the length of the book when you're when you should be submitting your manuscript if a publisher pays a royalty then what that royalty should be things like that and then you go off and start writing. I think those are very typical steps. And I would just say that different presses kind of sometimes do them in different orders or maybe have 
different meetings that happen among different personnel, whether that's the editorial board or an internal editorial committee. So that's something you can definitely ask your editor about if you want to know more about how that process works at the particular press and what's going to be expected of you at different stages. It's often very opaque to authors, maybe because editors think it's not interesting to authors. But if if it's something you want to know, um, that's something you can ask. And I, I want to reiterate Jen's point about the editor being your ambassador, because I think sometimes authors feel that like the editor is their gatekeeper and they they're a little bit at the beginning, but then once they are kind of on board with your book and like going through all those steps, like they believe in the book, they hope it gets published. They will be stressing out just like you, hoping they get it past all those other people who have to approve it. So they're really your teammate in this, and you can you can ask them questions about how it's going and you know what's going to happen, um, and you know if there's any information they need from you to help them do a better job of advocating for your book, be ready to provide that. You know if they're asking for revisions. They're doing that to help you. They're not doing it to like throw up an obstacle in your way. They're doing it because they've seen what happens in this process. And they know the things that the editorial board likes to see, or maybe is sometimes a red flag for them. So, you know, see them as a resource for you and, and your partner in getting it through the rest of the process. Yes, I think one of the important takeaways from our discussion today is that, you know, the editor is there to help you in crafting a successful book proposal. And if you have any questions, you should just ask them. Laura and Jen, uh, many thanks for all your insight on the book proposal and how to craft a successful or hopefully successful book proposal. Before we conclude um, this episode of the CEU Press podcast series, could you tell listeners um, where they can get in touch with you, where they can find you and uh, what exciting projects um, you are working on. And just a quick note to the listeners, um, all the contact details and everything Laura and Jen will mention will be down in the show notes below. Sure, I'll I'll go first. Um, I have a weekly newsletter. So if people want to hear more from me, that is the best place to do it. Um, And that's at newsletter.manuscriptworks.com. And that's where I also announce all the programs I have coming up. I do um, periodically some kind of free workshops and webinars. Um, And then I also have my group programs. um, And the kind of the most exciting thing for me every year is my book proposal accelerator, which I mentioned earlier, which June, July-ish, I'll be welcoming a new cohort of authors in who want a little more support. Uh, in working on their proposals. Um, you know, of course, the book proposal book is my resource that, that people can use on their own. But it, you know, if you do want that kind of group experience, direct feedback, um, and then I, I try to, you know, stay in touch with people as they're navigating the whole submission process and peer review and the contract and all that, because it can feel so, again, kind of opaque and mysterious and an editor's asking you for something and you're not sure why they're asking. Um, so I, I try to be there to just say, well, I think this is what they're looking for. Um, these are the questions you might want to take back to them. You know, this is normal. This is not normal. Let's think about this. So yeah, I just, you know, just try to be a support system for authors who are going through this process, because I know how hard it is. Even, you know, with the second book, it's, it can be scary, because <laughs> you, you don't know what's going to happen. Okay, and I, um, I mean, where, where can you find me and what I'm up to? The questions, aren't they? Well, I'm continuing to work on the development of the the list at uh, CEU Press, and um excited about developing a short book format we hope next year and that will allow scholars to publish their work at length that sits between the article and the full length book in length looking at new scholarly series and new directions so I'm excited about all of that you can find me on twitter at Jenny McCall 22 and you can email me on McCall J so M-C-C-A-L-L-J at press.ceu.edu And I'd love to hear from you with new proposals, of course. Yeah, that's where I'll be. Great. So as I said before, everything will be in the show notes below. Anyone's interested in any of these great resources. And, you know, if you have a book proposal, all the details are down below. Laura, Jen, thank you very much for coming on this episode of the CEU Press podcast series. And um, to all the listeners, I'll catch you at the next one. Bye. Bye.